This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I am super pumped. Today, we have what I would call a workers' compensation expert to join us for today's program. And it's kind of funny. Uh, I've been on LinkedIn, and I do a lot of research there looking for people to appear on the podcast. And this name has been appearing in my LinkedIn newsfeed wherever I go. Um, whatever corner I'm in, whatever, you know, whatever I'm looking at, I see the same name over and over and over again. And it was great because we actually had an opportunity to connect last week. And so I want to introduce you today to our guest speaker, Kevin Ring. Kevin joins us from the great state of North Carolina. And if you're not familiar with Kevin, he's currently a lead analyst at the Institute of Workers' Compensation Professionals. And we're going to get into a little bit about what they do. Uh, generally speaking, the Institute helps train and certifies insurance agents all over this great country on all things workers' compensation. We're going to geek out and talk about all things workers' compensation today. So, Kevin, thanks so much for stopping by. Well, Todd, I really appreciate it. It's exciting to uh, to be here. It was great to chat before. And I, I think what you just gave was a great testimonial for LinkedIn's algorithms. <laughs> if I keep popping up on your LinkedIn. It shows you what you're searching for, right? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of funny. I search for all these things, workers' compensation, and I don't know if anybody else does it like I do. Um, but the people that I've been able to find, the resources, um, there's just a wealth of information and a wealth of people out there doing some amazing things when it comes to workers' compensation that I was unaware of even a year ago. Yeah, there's, there are so many uh, interesting people in this business. Uh, of course, my LinkedIn invitations uh, seem to be so many people that want to redo my website. But, um, but yeah, there's, it's an incredibly deep and broad industry. And there are so many uh, fascinating people doing great work in all different, uh, different corners of the industry. And you know, we, we, we're in the agent's corner. So I don't know if you've listened to my podcast before, Kevin, but we talk about all things workers' compensation. And my focus on this has been that I think for so many years, uh, we have done workers' compensation wrong. Uh, usually from what I find, it's roughly probably 50% of most businesses, commercial package insurance costs, uh, we don't lead with it, although I think more agents are leading with work comp now. There's a lot more education that agents are doing with businesses when it comes to workers' compensation. Uh, one of the things that we talk about was, or that I believe, is we should use workers' compensation as a benefit. It sounds crazy, but let's use it as an employee retention tool and an engagement tool. And on any typical onboarding process for a new hire, we will talk about the benefits available, the vacation time, the PTO time, what the dental plan looks like, but we don't talk about what happens if you get hurt or what's our expectation if you have an injury. And that's part of the reason I started this podcast because it, that's when things go off the, the, it goes off the rails. So many businesses think, well, I haven't had a claim. I don't need to worry about it. And then they have that one claim and holy crap, they're behind the gun. They don't know what to do. It's a severe injury. They're short-staffed. They're down, you know, it's lost time. They Maybe they think the employee's faking it and just one thing snowballs into another, into another. And I really believe that we just, we owe it to the world to be better at what we've done, what we've been doing in the past to help them be better in the future. And it's the right thing to do for injured workers. And so all I want to do is talk about this all the time. And just make a positive impact. Well, I mean, what you're describing is a lack of a process. And exactly. there's, I mean, if you were to make a, a word cloud of, you know, my everyday conversations, process would be 
one of the the biggest words in that in that word cloud because workers compensation has historically and i say historically a few years ago i was doing some research and i found an article from a 1930s actuarial meeting uh, complaining about how uh, insureds and insurance agents ignored workers' compensation. So this is not a new phenomenon. Um, historically, insureds have been taught that comp is comp is comp and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And that leads to insurance agents treating it the same way And of course, workers' compensation pays some of the lowest commission of any line of insurance. Mm -hmm. From the insurance company's point of view, that makes perfect sense because if everybody has to buy it, then why should I essentially as the wholesaler of the product reward you for something that in their mind requires no skill to sell, right? They have to buy it if you're the person who winds up you know, being there when they decide, you know, to do the deal, you know, that's why you see higher commissions on, on products that are more kind of voluntary, if you will. And the, the benefits are the same, right? The benefits are, are statutory. Mm -hmm. If someone falls off a ladder and your, your insurance is written by company A, that claim is going to get paid the same way as if you fall off a ladder and you're insured by company B. And so through all of this over the last 110 years of workers' compensation in this country, um, you know, we've we've taught everyone involved in the transaction that it just doesn't matter. You can just get it from anywhere. But what what you know and what I know uh, and is that you can make a huge difference in workers' compensation. You know, you talked about comp being more than 50% of the package premium. We talk about it as as being the second largest check that most businesses have to write for their insurance uh, right behind their employee benefits. Yep. Um, and it's, you know, we have particularly for smaller groups, you know, we have very little um, ways to control, very few ways to control our health insurance premium and really no ways to control the health insurance premium that don't directly just move the money around right? Hey, you've, now you've got a $10,000 deductible instead of $5,000 deductible. So your premium didn't go up as much, but with workers' compensation, there are a tremendous number of things that an employer can do to reduce their costs without impacting the check the insurance company is going to write when your employee suffers a disaster. And, and that's what we focus on. And I loved what you said about onboarding employees and including workers' compensation in that. Uh, I forget the exact number, but I feel like it's north of 90% of employees who suffer an injury in any given year have never had a workers' compensation claim before. Mm -hmm. And when they get hurt, what is their only frame of reference? Right. Their only frame of reference is going to be their health insurance, how, you know, the other way that you typically interact with the medical professions. Well, my my health insurance has a high deductible. Maybe yours has a, a copay. You know, oh, man, I just fell and I, my, I hurt my back. I can't afford to go to the doctor. I can't afford to miss work, you know, but it hurts. And then I go home and what do I see? I see an ad for an attorney. I see one of the billboards that's pervasive across this country. You know, are you hurt at work? You know, we can help. And I, and what is that attorney saying? That attorney saying, I care about you. The insurance company isn't going to pay you what you should. Your employer isn't going to take care of you, but come to me and I'll, I'll take care of you and I'll get you what you're owed. And that's a very compelling argument to someone who's hurt and who's scared. Now, get them getting hurt, that's a separate conversation about how to make sure you have a safe workplace, probably outside of the scope of what we want to talk about today. But them being scared is 100% something the employer can have an impact on, right? And it starts with right up front, exactly like you were saying, you know, right along with here's the vacation policy and all the stuff that we're like, oh, did you read the employee handbook? You know, sign here. 
you know, here's, if you get injured, this is who you talk to, or this is the phone number you call. You're going to go to Dr. Bob, because in most, in most states, the employer has at least initial control over the choice of physician. Yep. And employers that are not utilizing that control are missing a huge opportunity because the doctor can blow up a worker's comp claim at five minutes into the initial visit. Um, so you're going to go see Dr. Bob and hundred percent of your medical costs are taken care of, you know, cause we, you know, it, we are going to take care of you when you're hurt. Dr. Bob's going to send you back to work because we've communicated with Dr. Bob and he knows that unless for, for us, there's only three reasons an employee should be out of work more than three days. If they're in the hospital, if they are contagious with some sort of disease and for, yep. for 10 plus years, I would say in workshops, well, thankfully we don't really have any contagious occupational diseases floating around. Unfortunately, that's not so much the case at, at the moment. Uh, and number three is if they're medicated in a way that makes it unsafe for them to get to or be at work. If none of those three things are true, they can be back at work doing something. So to dovetail into what you're saying, this is, this is the thing that I struggle with when it comes to physicians. We, I think the mentality has been for so long, I need to get a note from the doctor to tell me whether or not I can work. False. What we, what a business needs from the doctor is a list of what you can't, what your restrictions are, right? If you can't lift 50 pounds, you can't stand for eight hours, whatever that ends up being. And then whether or not the employer can accommodate that, that becomes a real thing. The doctor should not be telling people what they can and can't do. And 100%. they certainly should not be telling the employee. They should not be telling the businesses and businesses. If you're seeing these kind of notes, you need to call back that provider and say, Hey, this isn't, this doesn't work for us. We need more. Tell us exactly what the restriction is and we'll find a job accommodation. But a note saying Bob can't come to work for the next four days doesn't fly around here. Right. And the, and the tactic there is to, is to know the doctor before someone gets hurt. Yeah. Right. To have that communication with the doctor to, to go to them and say, we want to send our injured employees to you. but if we're going to do that, you know, we need you to be on our team. And that's, that's not about telling the doctor, you know, well, we want you to be, you know, super aggressive. Probably 15 years ago, I heard a doctor who's now retired. He, uh, he spoke at a conference I was at and he was an occupational doctor. He was also the, the team physician for the San Diego chargers. And he, he talked about the, similarities between sports medicine and occupational medicine. Now, in professional football, they're happy to, you know, shoot you full of something and send you back out on the field. We're not, we're not going to do that in workers' compensation, but the mindset is very similar that you should never not be working, right? We're going to find a way. Now, in, in occupational medicine, exactly like you said, well, maybe my lifting restriction is 10 pounds, you know, maybe I need to be able to sit down. Uh, maybe I need to be completely 100% sedentary for some period of time, but I can be doing something because the studies have repeatedly shown that people get better faster. They actually recover from their injury more rapidly when they're at work. And that's like, regardless, it's not a work conditioning thing. It's not you know, oh, well, we're putting them back with physical demands or whatever. It's being back in that setting, keeping on that schedule. I sometimes, you know, challenge people to think about, you know, think about a time you took a two or three or longer week vacation and really disconnected from work and think about what it felt like when you had to set the alarm that, that morning, you know, and that was probably a struggle. It's a struggle for most people. Um, and now think about that injured employee who has been in pain, has been getting probably a reduced paycheck from what they were you know, used to, to getting, you know, who's been shuttling back and forth from you know, doctor's appointments, and in far too many cases, hasn't heard word one from their employer since the day they left injured. Now think about how hard it is for them when that doctor says, you know, I think you're ready to come back. 
Well, if we can keep them in that groove, if we can be communicating to them from the moment they suffer that injury until the moment the doctor says, you know, hey, you're all better, you're ready to get back in the game, champ, that we care about them, we're working for them to get better and we're supporting them, you know, the outcomes are better for the injured employee. You're, you're not going to have attorneys getting involved with, you know, sprained ankles and, and places where attorneys just do not belong in this system. And at the end of the day, the employer is going to have a lower workers' compensation premium because of it. I think you just hit the nail on the head. There's so many things here that <laughs> I, we got to go back through here. <laughs> so I feel like we're talking about process here, right? right. Um, so let's, let's, let's dig into the right process, the way things should, should, uh, happen in my mind. And we'll see if the, that, uh, that's what you think too. So step one for a business. Um, I believe that every business should have nurse triage number yes. rule. Number one, if you're with an insurance company, if your business is with an insurance company that does not offer nurse triage, find a new one. Simple as that. Yeah, we're huge fans of nurse triage. We're even bigger fans of uh, of agents setting up their own triage relationships. Yep. Um, so, is it is it okay if I if I tilt my head a little bit towards sales right here? As, a, I'm, as I'm opposed with you. to so there's there's process. several nurse triage firms out there that agents can use on their own. Right. Yeah. So well, the so the point is that that and and yes, hundred percent. If the insurance company offers it, that's it's a great solution. Um, if you can set up your own agency relationship, then, you know, we talk a lot about exit barriers. Um, so as an agent, one of the greatest things you can do is take a broker of record letter. That's, that's our perspective. I don't know how you feel about BORs and, but from an employer's perspective, a broker of record letter is also really great because you get to change who you're working with without changing the underlying provider. So you don't have a new loss control person coming in, giving you new recommendations. Maybe you get to keep the same premium auditor. It's the same underwriter. So you don't have the fear of some other underwriter, you know, trying to be super smart and reclassify your business. You know, there's a lot of business continuity benefits to a broker of record letter for an employer. Absolutely. Well, now look at this from the other side of the glass as this is your client. Well, if your nurse triage that you love so much and does great things, and it is, it's an amazing service that, you know, I think if you're not on the triage wagon today, you're way behind. Two or three, pre-pandemic, agents who were on the triage wagon were ahead. But now that we've had over a year of telemedicine becoming the norm, if you're not on the triage wagon, you're going to be behind. But if you have that triage relationship, through the agency and it's facilitated through the agency, then maybe they have to change triage providers if they sign a broker or record letter with another agent. So it's just one more thing, one more place where you can insert yourself, right? So this is, this is such a huge thing for agents is that, and agents talk about this all the time, but I feel like too many agents don't execute very well on it. And that is what's well, agent selection, not insurance company selection. I want you to pick me, not the name of the company that's going to write the checks when you suffer a disaster. But then we outsource so much of what we do to this third party that we've told them isn't nearly as important as their relationship with us. And so, I mean, that's triage, that's, that's injury management. You know, there's... Um, there's a lot of places where the agents that are really executing the workers' comp process at a high level can get involved in a way that it's, it's really the employer understands when they get a call from another agent saying, hey, can I give you a quote, that it's, they're not even playing the same game that their you know, knowledgeable workers' comp agent is. Well, that, that, Hey, can I give you a quote? seems to be the only, it's like, that's like the hammer in the toolbox. Hey, I got a hammer. 
I'm just going right. to start swinging it. Can I give I you got a quote? great markets and we have great service. Yeah. I'm going to save you money. And that resonates well with a lot of businesses, right? Oh, I can save money. Well, maybe, I don't know. We can all do a bunch of work and we do a bunch of quotes and it goes nowhere. Right. And the, uh, the reality is that probably 92% of the time you're going to stay with the company and the agent that you're at. Right. So we do a lot of work for that 8%. Right. So yes, I'm sorry. I, I went on a tangent there. Yes. We love nurse triage. No. So yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Love nurse triage too. And to circle back, I, I, I didn't gather if you like outsourcing things or not. I'm a huge fan of outsourcing. And just to kind of give you a, 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 the reason I like outsourcing is because I can go niche and I can go special on specific products and services. And those things will run whether I'm on vacation or somebody in my office is sick or HR at the company is out or the owner of the company is on vacation. And so when we put these processes in place for a business and they're with our third-party providers, we talk, we all know they're a third-party provider. They better do what they sold and they manage that whole entire process in their lane. But then we never miss a beat when that claim comes in, whether it's on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. or a Friday night at five o'clock. The process is the same, call it, do this, 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 get it in the lane that it needs to go in and boom, away we go. And we don't miss a step with the injured worker. hundred percent now. Yeah. And, and I, so what I was, let me be more explicit. Um, not like in a, get the dump button ready, but more explicit. in what I was trying to say is when you sell, and this is the global you, you, Todd, you, the, the audience, when you sell an insurance policy, the only reason anyone really buys insurance is to get a claim paid, right? And that's workers' comp or anything else. When they suffer a disaster that they're going to get the check that they expect. And in workers' comp, we're dealing with people, going back to what you were saying about you know, workers' comp is an employee benefit, and agents are outsourcing most agents are outsourcing 100% of what happens in dealing with that injury to a third party over which they have no control. 100%. So that's very different than outsourcing. So outsourcing it 100% to the insurance company versus now if you want to find and, and we, uh, our injury management expert does outsource claims management for some of our clients. So I mean, it, but they have control over that. They have control over what the process is. They have a say in how she's following up in the same way that I'm sure that the third parties that you're outsourcing to, you know, they're executing on what they're really good at. But if, if they're not good enough, or if they, if they fall down, you know, I mean, obviously you can move to a different insurance company, but, but there's, you, you can't always move to a different insurance company. You know, if it's the wrong kind of risk, sometimes, you know, this is the one home, or maybe you just don't have another, market for it. And so it's, it's not outsourcing as a concept. It's more uh, outsourcing a hundred percent of that claims management, you know, to the insurance company and the insurance company is always going to have a role because you're not, you're not going to write the checks. You're not going to fill out the compliance forms, right? The insurance company is there for a reason, but so many agents and, and honestly, so many employers, when someone gets injured, they just fall into the system. And they go into the same fishbowl that, you know, every other injured employee with that insurance company goes into. And it could be your very best client that pays you more than anyone else that's been with you for 25 years, whatever best means to you. And they deserve special treatment to make sure that, that that's being looked over really aggressively. But the insurance company, it's just... John Doe who got hurt, just like Jane Doe that got hurt at a company with a, you know, a BOP workers comp policy. They look no different. Yeah. So you're talking about that's where businesses need to advocate for their injured worker. Or my favorite thing, if you actually put in, we, I've used the term claim navigator. So a business needs to establish a claim navigator that can help be a voice for the injured worker. So many people don't like to advocate for themselves. So many people don't like to say my pain level is a nine or an eight or a seven. Uh, I mean, just the stresses that, that come about, you know, from a month long or longer workers' compensation claim, employees don't want to whine. They don't want to complain. They want to be taken care of. 
And the last thing that owners or businesses or business managers want to hear is, oh, Sally's upset about the way her claim's being handled. Well, maybe Sally has a valid problem. Maybe she's afraid to say anything. So you can put a middle person in there. I like to call them a claim navigator. And they're going to be the advocate or the, the, the intermediary between the business and Sally. So maybe they can check in on Sally. Maybe they can find out how Sally's doing. And when Sally communicates with the navigator at, who works for your business, hey, here's what's going on. The doctor's not treating me right, or I haven't been able to make this appointment. They communicate that back to the company. Right. I think that creates a better experience. And it kind of puts a layer in there of it's not he said, she said, and that friction. I feel like it's frictionless because it's a third party that listens that your company is appointed. Yeah. And there's a, there's a role there too, for communicating with the insurance company, you know, Absolutely. adjusters have an incredibly difficult job. And, and this is, we talk about this a lot when we talk about the experience mod and managing the, the valuation date. Some people call it the, the unit stat date where we see injuries being you know, way overvalued, not because the adjuster is trying to, you know, pump up the reserves, but because the adjuster hasn't gotten the information from the doctor. And, you know, so there's a role when things are really working well, that when, when Sally gets released to come back to work, uh, even if it's a recovery at work position, uh, does the adjuster know that? Is the adjuster getting timely updates? Because if an adjuster calls a doctor today, they're going to leave a message and they're going to set a reminder in their system to call back in 30 or 45 days in most cases. And if they don't get a call back in 30 or 45 days, they're going to call again. And what can happen is that if you get a doctor that's not communicating with the insurance company, it doesn't mean that the medical treatment isn't progressing and that Sally isn't getting better, but the adjuster can't, can't change reserves if they don't know what's happening, right? So it's, it's where that, that process and everyone being plugged in at the employer, the employer is not going to be plugged in if they don't have an agent who teaches them how to plug in. So how do you recommend, I mean, I'm an insurance agent. We kind of geek out on work comp. I've only got so many hours in my day as an insurance agent. Um, and I have to sell, I have to go find new clients. I have to service my existing clients. I have to deal with claim problems. I have to deal with claims adjusters who screwed up a claim. I have to talk with underwriting about why they don't want to write a really great account that I just brought to them, that we spent all this time marketing and growing and nurturing. And now, now you don't like it because of one thing. I don't, I'm a firm believer in create the webinar, create the content, spoon feed that out to a client, but there's only so many hours in the day to educate people amongst all of the other things that we have to do. Right. Oh, totally. And when, when we train agents, we're very specific in telling them as you, as you start to put this into practice, would it be great if you went and did all of these things that we talk about with every client that you have? It'd be awesome. The world would be a better place, but that's not realistic. Uh, what's realistic is take your top X number accounts and start there and make sure that all the right things are happening. You know, the, you know, some people would talk about as you're, you know, you think about the 80, 20 rule, it's probably more like 90, 10 for a lot of agents. Um, you could start there. Uh, you could start with the clients you feel like trust you the most and clients that trust you are a great place to try new things. Cause if you drop the ball, then you're probably not going to ruin the relationship the first time you, you drop a ball. Um, you know, the client you want to keep for life is another way to think of it and, and start there. And what we find is that a couple of different things happen. First of all, if you're focusing on those best accounts in your book of business, then it's not that hard to start focusing on only those kinds of accounts. And you start seeing agents grow the accounts. I would say they raise the floor of the accounts they want to work on. Um, and you see, you know, some agencies expand 
internally to build some of these capabilities because you do need to be selling. And what you need to not be, and this is the enemy of every producer and it's the big time enemy of every agency owner, is having producers that are really just well-compensated account managers, right? So having a back office staff that, that can carry that water. And, that, and first of all, mo- the really good account managers, I know a lot of insurance agents, a lot of very successful insurance agents. There are very few of them that would make it three weeks as an account manager as a good account manager. And I say that because that's not the mentality of a salesperson is that detail oriented process work. They, you know, the salesperson is selling, they're building relationships. And if that account manager becomes part of not just a person you rely on, but a person that the client is trained to rely on, um, you know, I, we have a, a client who is, you know, the, his best clients have a cell phone number, which by the way, uh, don't put your cell phone number on your business card. Your clients don't need you all the time. And if you really want to make it special, you can write your cell phone number on your business card when you hand it out and really make someone feel special that you're giving it just to them. But, you know, they call the agent cell phone, the agents in a car, 150 miles from the office. And they're, they're wanting something. Well, you can take that message and then you can call the office and there's a you know 90% chance you're going to get the re- you're going to accurately you know echo the request from your client but it's so much better for everyone for you to say you know this is Jim's phone number you know if you can call Jim Jim's going to know exactly what you need and he's going to be able to get it to you you know much more effectively you know, than I can, because I'm not in the office. And so, I mean, that's a, a long answer to, to maybe a short question, but, you know, find the clients that you, you really do need to spend the time and the effort on. And of course, the more you spend time and effort on it, the easier it's going to get, and the less time and effort you're going to have to spend. And then find the people to support you that will allow you to offload some of that. And some of that might be in the agency. Some of it might be the third parties that you were talking about. You know, any of those, any of that could be an option. So what you're talking about is setting the expectation for businesses. And I think it's naturally hard. It is, it, it, it is hard for some of the producers that I work with. Uh, it's hard for businesses to change behavior. They think because Bob is the one that sold me the policy, Bob needs to be the one who I contact. And businesses, I got to tell you right now, I'm an insurance agent that runs four different companies and a podcast, four different emails, Facebook Messenger, LinkedIn, my cell phone, email. It is a nonstop, just try to keep it all straight. And I, I don't know how many times throughout the course of a day, I say, here's a person you need to call or here we have a generic team at myoffice.com. And that that gets triaged by everybody in my office, puts to the right person, away it goes. It is literally the fastest way to get anything done. And it doesn't matter if people are out sick, people are on vacation, people are working from home, it still gets done. And so I think agents, there's a lesson there and businesses, it's okay to get passed off to an account manager because I guarantee you they're gonna know how to do whatever you need done better than the producer is. Right. I get so, <laughs> Kevin, I can't tell you how many times people text me, Hey, I need a certificate. Uh, folks, you're not even going to believe this. I don't know how to produce a certificate in our agency management system. I have no idea. I haven't done it in years. There's a lot of people in my office that know exactly how to do it faster, better than I do. And when you send me that, I literally reply back to you with the team email, here's where that needs to go. And then it just magically gets done. Oh yeah. It's, it's the exact same, uh, in what we do, you know, occasionally a client will call and ask me a, a question about an invoice or something. And I say, listen, they don't trust me with the QuickBooks login. Like that's not, you know, let me, you know, get this question to Amanda and she can, 
she can help you with it. And, you know, for me, it's a, it's a, a pretty minor thing. You know, insurance agents are dealing with incredibly, it's an incredibly complex system. And the insurance programs, I mean, even, you know, we, we complain about this all the time at the Institute. We're a small company. You know, I think our, you know, our package premium is maybe, you know, four grand, $4,500. And I've got a binder with almost 200 pages in it about our insurance with a letter from our agent who I love saying, please review this and let me know if anything's not right. Well, I'm an insurance agent and I don't really know if anything's not right. Even when I read it, you know, it's, and when you get into businesses that are legitimately complex, um, it's, it's impossible. And it's impossible for one person to have all of that information. And you talk about the agency management system. You don't have, you don't even have access to that when you're in the office, but there's someone in the office that can help, help them with that right away. And so for producers, you know, that building that team and, and the other piece is not over-promising, right? That, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot in what we teach agents. There's a huge amount of, of information. There are a lot of things that we can teach you how to do, but no one, in, and it'll be 20 years in October since we started doing this, no one's ever finished our class and the next day been able to do everything that we teach because that's not how humans you know, learn. It's not how you can execute. You have to pick one, uh, one thing. And I feel like one of the big problems that we have in our industry with agents is it's so easy to learn the surface level and to, to tell maybe a story that seems compelling, but not really know how to do it. And, you know, agents I see be really successful. They frequently go, you know, deep and not broad, you know, and, and it's, and most of your clients are probably the same way. You know, most, most clients of a middle market insurance agency are specialists in something, right? Walmart is a generalist, right? But if you insure a general contractor, that general contractor probably has a, a relatively narrow silo of things that they build. Like they're not one day building a, a 3000 square foot custom house and the next day building the, you know, a, a 10 floor office building, right? They, they do, agree, yeah. they do a thing and, and insurance agents have been taught that they have to do all the things and they have to be good at all the things. And it's not, it's really not possible. Not at, not at the individual human level. The agency can do all the things if you have a team of people who are, are experts in kind of different silos. Well, Kevin, to your point, the agents that I see that do it all are doing a disservice. Uh, I, I talked to somebody the other day that, I mean, literally they have an outside job, they have an insurance job, and then they're, they're selling farm and they're selling auto and they're selling home. And now they're also trying to spin off some uh, cancer disability. And I just, my mind is like, why are you, why? Why? you're not helping anybody. You're not helping the industry at all. And actually I think you're kind of making it worse and you're doing a disservice to everybody who buys something from you because you're too much of a generalist. And I don't even know if what you're selling is the right thing that these people need, but the, right. it, yeah, we're getting off track. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's circle back. So, I mean, I think I'm with you. We need to have a process to help make our, make the workers' compensation process better. Um, we start out with nurse triage. So two things, nurse triage, either get it from the company or go out and buy it from a third party. Sure. Um, so an agency can either pay for that on behalf of their clients if the revenue is high enough or the client can pay for it on their own. The agent sets it up. And gets we would encourage the client to pay for it because it's a it's an unquantifiable expense for the the agency. But we can we can talk about that later. So, yes, nurse triage. Yep. Then implement a primary care physician or designated physician. We're with you. Um, I, I don't know if, if uh, we dived into this here, but the reason the reason you don't want your your injured worker going to their primary care physician is because they have a really great relationship with that primary care physician. 
And when they hurt themselves at work and they go to see their doctor, it's very easy for their doctor who says, Hey, you're my paycheck. I've known you since you were a kid. You've been coming to me forever. And you want a note that says you get the next two weeks off work. Fine by me. They write that note. And guess what? Now suddenly your workers' compensation claim isn't a medical only. It's a medical and indemnity. Your business is short staffed for the next two weeks. And you're already behind the eight ball trying to figure out, can I get this employee back to work when you've got a doctor's note that says they're off work for the next two weeks? 100%. 100%. So to go back, the reason that your business wants to establish a relationship, and I think Kevin, you said it best, is to set the expectation of how your business is going to interact with that primary care physician and how you're going to bring people back to work. And I think you said there are three things that people get time off work for hospitalization, uh, contagious, contagious disease and, 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 and medicated in a way that makes it unsafe for them to get to or be at work. There you go. None of those three things are true. Then an injured worker does not need to be away from work for more than three days. Um, and, and, and it's not like, I, I want to make it very clear to everyone listening. I'm not telling you that medic, that any injury you can suffer is going to be healed in three days, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if none of those three things are true, then they can be doing something. And it's exactly what you said before Todd, which is then it's up to the employer to find that something but they can be doing something. Oh, absolutely. And then to, so there's two ways I've seen employees handle. There's two ways that I've seen employers handle this. One, they really care about the injured worker. Two, they seem to really hate the injured worker. So number one, when they care about the injured worker, they create a special job for them or they bring them back and they say, I know we don't have anything that fits hundred percent what you do. We value, can you help us out do this? Or maybe it's a special project. Um, and their productivity is not going to be where it was. And you're not doing it for productivity. You're doing them to keep that injured worker engaged in your company and make them feel like they're an actual human being and a person and surround themselves with the same workers that they usually work with on a daily basis anyway, rather than sit home all alone, isolated, you know, being left to their own devices or the flip side of that is if you hate your injured worker, then you say, I don't have any jobs for you, but insurance company says I got to bring you back, which is usually the beginning of that narrative. And so they stick them in some far isolated corner doing the worst job. I mean, I've heard people say they're just going to count bolts then. Okay. Um, I also heard one company say, Hey, we're going to bring you in. You're going to sit in that chair all day long and you're going to get a paycheck and not do anything. And you're smiling, but it like, you hate your workers? Is this really what it has come down to? Right. Well, in, in that, from the, the insurance agent's point of view, if, if you walk into a business and you, you, you alluded to this earlier, the business owner who says, uh, you know, all my workers comp claims are fraudulent and everything, it's all a scam. Yep. Well, if a business owner thinks all of his employees are criminals, they're probably not going to be a super great client for your agency. Right. So like, let them, let them work with someone else because you can't, you can't help someone that, you know, it's, it, it's, you're not going to be able to help them because this process controlling your workers compensation costs requires the, the business owner to want to care for his employees. And, you know, there's, there's a what's in it for me aspect to this, you know, that sales 101 is, is what's in it for me. And, you know, you mentioned medical only before, you know, there's 36 states that have the ERA where you get the 70% discount if an injury is medical only, you know, so it's pretty easy to illustrate for a business owner. If Dan, if Dan had been back at work, inside of seven days for his back strain, instead of having been out of work for three weeks or a month, um, you know, the injury would have had this much smaller impact on your experience mod and your premium would have been this much lower. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that this is hundred percent 
altruistic, but it is, it, it does help the bottom line, you know, which is the, the premium cost. It does help productivity, which you mentioned, you know, now you've got to deal with someone being out of work. Well, even if they're not back in their regular job, every business has things that aren't happening. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, an injured worker can still do part of their regular job, even if they can't do all of it. Right. So, okay, I can't do the lifting, but I can still do, you know, these other, uh, these other pieces. And, you know, it's, uh, there was a study from, uh, from ACOM, the American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine, in, I think it was 2006, that showed that when an employee was out of work 12 weeks, so three months, there was only a 50-50 chance they were ever coming back to that job they were in when they got hurt. And after a month, it drops to 90%. And so it's really hard to find people. I mean, it's all I, I keep hearing is it's really hard to hire good people. I heard the same thing pre-COVID when unemployment was less than half of what it is now. It's, it's always hard to find good people. Yep. When you have someone who's on your team get hurt, presumably, hopefully, you think they're a good person. That's why they're on your team in the first place. So replacing them is going to be challenging. If you don't bring them back, then you are dramatically increasing the chance that they're never going to come back and you're going to be faced with having to replace them. And never mind the, the insurance cost and the headache and the calls with your insurance agent and your lawyer trying to figure out, well, can I fire them now? They've been out of work for a year. You know, all of that nightmare, it's, you know, your business is going to be less profitable as a result if you aren't managing this well. Preach, preach, preach. You're going to love this. I just had a conversation the other day with a specialist attorney who we're going to bring on. His whole focus is the employment lawsuits that arise after being terminated at the conclusion at the end of a workers' compensation claim. So just, just to your point, yeah. workers' compensation oh, claim ends after 12 months, company hates them, they get fired at the end of 12 months because now they're not on the work comp claim. They go, they retain an employment practice attorney that specializes in this. And the judgments that he was getting for his clients is just crazy. Just crazy. Well, there's there's a, a couple of really important things in what you just said. First of all, if you're an employer and you're listening to this podcast, buy employment practices, liability insurance. Yeah. Agents, if you're listening to this podcast, sell your clients employment practices, liability insurance. It's the best money that they, it's some of the best money they can spend. Um, secondly, insurance agents, when your client asks, well, can I fire this person? The only answer you should ever give is a, a referral to an attorney. You should have someone in your back pocket who is an employment attorney, really familiar with the laws of your local jurisdiction that they can talk to. And there are national services where you can like subscribe and talk to an attorney for free for 15 minutes, but find someone they can talk to. There are far too many insurance agents answering legal questions. And, and this is only one of those areas where agents really uh, open themselves up to Agreed. Problems. Um, and third, the most expensive place to deal with a human resource problem is the workers' compensation system. If you have a bad employee, get rid of them now before they have a chance to get hurt. Have a process to you know, get them out the door. Uh, and we have a form that we, we share with agents uh, that's a declaration of no injury. It's a great thing to use at termination of employment. And it's pretty simple. Hey, we're really sorry. And this is, you can do this, whether you're, whether the termination of employment is, is voluntary on the part of the employee or not. Right. So whether you're firing them or they're just leaving, it's, you know, Hey, this is a bummer. We're sorry that, that this is over, but right up until the moment you walk on out that door for the last time, you know, you're our responsibility. And so we need to know right now if, there, if you've suffered an injury that 
uh, that you haven't reported because if, if you if you're hurt then we need to make sure that's that's taken care of um and you know it's not nothing's going to prevent 100 percent of lawsuits but we've we've seen that be useful in in what i would call kind of frivolous post-termination uh issues mm-hmm. where someone's terminated and then suddenly it's like oh man didn't i tell you that like I've needed a spine transplant for the last six months and I just never told anybody. And, you know, you see these terrible, uh, these terrible claims and nobody really believes that they were actually injured. They just found a doctor to say that they were because the, the, the plaintiff's attorneys know all the best doctors for that stuff. There was so much, there's so much information in what you just said. I want to circle back to one of the things you're, you're right businesses stop asking your insurance agent for legal advice on whether you can fire an employee or not. <laughs> we're, no. we're not attorneys. We don't practice law. Um, you don't want, I'm not going to give you a recommendation. I'm going to do exactly what Kevin said. Contact your attorney, not your HR professional, probably your attorney. Cause you're going to need somebody with a legal degree to stand behind the decision and the advice that they're going to give you. Um, and I, from what I've, my experience has been Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong. Let's see. How do I want to say this? It's okay to fire a worker while they're on workers' compensation claim, but I'm going to give you a but. But you need to follow what your handbook says. And if your handbook says we're going to warn people, we're going to do these things, and maybe you've got a workers' compensation claim because that injured worker didn't follow the right safety procedures that you have laid out in your manual. Now, there's a reason there that you can write them up, and if it's their third offense, you can fire them. But the first thing the attorney is going to ask you before you fire this person is what's in their file and have you followed your handbook and just letting somebody go because they've had a worker's compensation claim is not okay. If they're a bad employee, if they're tardy, they follow, they fail to follow safety procedures. The list goes on and on. If you've actually documented and done what you've said you're going to do in your handbook as to you know, how you handle employee terminations, that's one thing just firing somebody randomly is not going to be okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, and that's, that's where, you know, on a day-to-day basis, do you need to call an attorney every time you want to terminate an employee? Certainly not. But when they're inside the comp system already, it's, it's a recipe for disaster because it, Mm -hmm. regardless of the facts of the situation, when you terminate someone that's in the middle of a worker's compensation case, it looks bad. It always looks bad, yeah. regardless of the facts of the situation. But an attorney is going to be able to tell you, okay, yes, these things in your in your handbook are legit and you're doing you're doing everything by the letter of the law. And I mean by the letter of the law in terms of the handbook and the letter of the law in our jurisdiction. If this person decides to pursue litigation against you, you know, it's likely going to be challenging. And we have all of this documentation because of course, most of the attorneys that are doing that work in the workers' compensation space are working on retainer, right? Most, most attorneys that work on retainer don't like to take long shots unless that long shot is worth a lot of money. So as an employer, if you're doing things by the book, then if someone comes at you you have all of these things that make that look way less attractive to an attorney and might make the attorney say, you know, I don't think we can win this or, you know, I don't, I don't want to try and win this. It's not a good case. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes people will say, well, can we get sued for doing that? Or can my client get sued for doing that? You know, I could sue you this afternoon, Todd. I don't know why, but I could, I mean, I could find an attorney that would file a lawsuit. That doesn't mean it's any good. You know, and so all we can, all employers can do and all agents can help their employers with is to, you know, to put those barriers in and make sure that you're doing things the right way. And it's another place where a lot of middle market businesses and I'm, you know, middle market, you know, in the, you know, probably 20 to 200 employee range uh, where, you know, a number of those businesses are routinely growing into new HR practices as they grow, right? Because the HR expertise you need as a five employee business is way different than when you get to 20 
and then you get over 50 and, and, you know, those employers need that legal help because, you know, some of the, I mean, and and I'm, I'm not, you know, casting aspersions at, at HR professionals, because there are a lot of great ones, but there are, I mean, I, 20 years ago, I worked for a company that had gone from probably 50 to 200 employees in the course of about five years. And the HR manager was someone who was initially hired to work in accounting. And then they sent her to some HR classes. And, and she, she was, I know now in retrospect, she was in completely over her head. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that over time she developed that expertise. Uh, but, you know, a lot of companies haven't invested in that really strong HR department and, and they're going to need people to make sure they're checking all the right boxes. Well, that goes back to the right processes, right? Cause HR departments turn over assistance, turn over that knowledge turns over. You need something that spans more than one administration and a, or one leadership panel in a business. Kevin, I feel like we could talk for a couple more hours and we're almost, <laughs> we're almost at an hour, believe it or not. We've barely scratched the surface time. I, I, I had probably seven more questions I wanted to get to, and we're not going to get to them today. Um, and we just kind of, we just got right into it. But uh, behind you on the screen, it says Institute of Work Comp Professionals. Do you want to give us the quick overview of what it is that you do and what it is that your company does? Yeah, absolutely. The, the Institute uh, trains, certifies, and mentors uh, independent insurance agents in a uh, copyrighted process that helps agents uh, write more business and get better results for their clients because those those two things go hand in hand. Um, and you know, so there's three pieces to that. So there's the the training uh, for most for agents that's going to start with the certified work comp advisor designation program. Uh, I mentioned earlier we uh, we will turn twenty in October. We had our first institute in October of two thousand one, and uh, so then you you complete that course and you take the test and you earn the designation, but that's when the fun really begins. And that's where what we do looks a lot different from most of the other designation programs in our business, which is that we become your workers comp help desk. So, you know, before we, uh, we got on the call today, I was uh, talking to an agent about uh, the proper classifications for a couple of businesses that he's working with and was talking to someone else about uh, what's going to happen to their client's experience mod because they have this auto accident that was the the result of a negligent third party. You know, how long is that going to take to settle out? And then what happens, you know, when the insurance company gets some of that money back, you know, whether it's, you know, technical questions, marketing and sales questions, you know, we uh, we help agents with that. And if we don't know the answers, we know the people that do. And, you know, that mentoring is you know, the biggest part of what we do. The training and the certification is to, to set the base level of knowledge. But our goal for the folks who come through our programs is expertise. And expertise comes from deliberate practice and experience and, and not from the classroom. So we want to give you that, that knowledge that you can then build on in, in your, your practice uh, out in the, the world and, you know, help employers run more successful businesses while, you know, being a successful insurance agent. All right. If I'm a business owner and I want to search for a agent who has gone through the, the class at the Institute, is there a place to find that? Uh, we don't have a member list online, but we are always uh, happy to uh, to refer anyone. So you can you can send me an email. My email address is kevin at iwcpro.com. Uh, you can go to the website. There's a contact form on the website at workcompprofessionals.com. Um, we're happy to uh, to point people in the right direction, uh, but we don't have a directory online. Got it. So if I'm a business and I maybe need help with workers' compensation, or I want to look for 
uh, an agent that has that designation? What are the what are the letters going to be behind that agent's name to let me know as a business owner that they've gone through this class and they are an expert in their field? A CWCA Certified Work Comp Advisor. That's okay. what you're. That's what you're going to look for. And uh, we have uh, right in the neighborhood of a a thousand agents that we work with, and around two hundred agencies uh, around the country. And uh, in I think pretty much we have folks that cover every voluntary market state, uh, with the exception of Hawaii. So I welcome your Hawaii listeners to give me a call. We are happy to schedule a workshop at your agency um, ASAP. Hey, if you're going to do that and you need a podcast host, let me know. I would love to go back to Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the, the cool statistic there, I, I think the statistics that I see, there's 35,000 agents, give or take nationwide. That includes life, health, um, credit, life, farm, whatever it ends up being. Uh, you've got a thousand of those that have gone through this program. So there's a, there's a thousand agents out there. This workforce is making the whole entire experience for businesses and injured workers better. I appreciate you. And I thank you for doing that. And I thank you for helping educate agents everywhere. Absolutely. Well, thank you uh, so much. And it's, it's a lot of fun, right? Getting to help people is fun. And it's one of the, the things that can be most rewarding about our business is, is helping people. And, and I feel like a lot of people don't have a very positive view of the insurance business. Um, but, you know, at, when it's done at a high level, it can be incredibly rewarding when, Uh, When you can help people avoid disasters, that's always the goal. But even when people suffer disasters, uh, be it, you know, employee injuries or, or something else to, uh, to be able to, to help them recover from that is, is a really rewarding job. Agreed. It's kind of funny. We only talk premium at the time that somebody buys a policy. We never talk premium at the time of claim. And when it's a bad claim, they always want to know, how am I covered? Well, Let's go back and look at the policy that I sold you, right? And hopefully right. I've done my job. Right. Well, and yeah, we could have a whole other conversation about how too many agents talk about what is covered versus what's not. Yeah, which it's a lot. It's a lot. All it's right, like Kevin, a couple cheese. questions here for you before we wrap up. Uh, these are my random fun questions. What are you reading right now? Uh, I wish I had it on my desk. I'm reading uh, Jane Levy's biography of Sandy Koufax. Educate me real quick on that. Sandy Koufax, World Series winning left-handed pitcher for the uh, Brooklyn and then Los Angeles Dodgers in the 50s and 60s. It's and this a, is an fascinating, fascinating portrait of uh, a very unique and incredibly talented man. Wow. Okay. Uh, we'll put that on the list. And then my next question for you, what are you spending more money on right now than you should? Oh, what am I spending? Um, I'm about to spend a lot of money on college, so I'm not spending much money, uh, at all, but I am, I am renovating, um, my screen porch, which has been, been waiting on me for almost 20 years. So that's, uh, that's very exciting. It would have been cheaper to do that 20 years ago than the material values right now. Yes, thank, right thankfully, material-wise, it's been uh, it's been a relatively inexpensive uh, project in that in that regard. But yes, it's uh, a lot more expensive. Got it. And then, last question: What message would you like to leave with our listeners today? So I'll I'll kind of put a fork in the road here, and and uh, employers. If, if you don't know that you're, you are in control of your workers' compensation costs, then you're almost certainly not. And we would encourage you to work with someone who can help you feel in control. Because as a small business owner, you probably didn't start your, you probably started your business because you wanted to have more control over what you were doing. Uh, and too often in insurance, uh, you're left feeling out of control and not really understanding uh, what's going on. Uh, and for insurance agents, you know, find a way, whether it's in workers' compensation or, or something else, find a way where you can put your clients 
in control of their insurance programs because um, it's control is a uh, it's something that we feel very innately um, and people don't like to feel out of control. Think about the feeling you have when you walk into an airport where you basically give up any semblance of, of control over what you can and can't do or the decisions you can make. And, and insurance agents that can, can give business owners that, that control uh, win. I like it. Kevin, thanks again for being on the podcast today. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you. Appreciate everything you're doing. And I'll keep following you on LinkedIn, man. Awesome. It's a pleasure, Todd. Thanks so much.